Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're up to episode 28. It's good to be back with you. I'm Liam. I'm Leanne. And you probably would have already noticed if you're a regular listener to the show that uh, Lisa, who's normally second cab off the rank there, um, didn't say hello. Unfortunately, she's not with us uh, tonight, but we are very hopeful she'll be back uh, next week. Um, so it's just it's just you and me, Leanne. I guess if we want to talk, uh, Lisa, now's the time. Well, I suppose it is, but <laughs> let's not do that. Let's go high. <laughs> let's go high, exactly. Um, so we've got we've got a we've got a good show tonight. We you you won't just have to listen to uh, Leanne and I go back and forth. Although that would be a wonderful hour to spend of your time. Not that there'd oh, be anything yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but we do have a special guest planned uh, for later on. Um, we're going to be joined by uh, Martel Mens from the. Uh, the AEU, the Australian Education Union, to talk about uh, educators and early childhood teachers and professionals and their um, their relationship with the union. So we look forward to... Maybe to... even a little bit about the um, Victorian budget. We'll have to ask her about that as well because May... there's been some stuff happening. That's right. And, and, you know, as we always do in the sort of breaking news, so we're just letting everyone know we're recording this on Wednesday night when there's been um, some, some pretty... Uh, so what seems to be very good funding announcements from the from the Victorian government with regard to early childhood education. So we we might try and um, uh, look. Martel's had a couple of hours to get her head around it. So hopefully she might she might be able to talk to us about it for a little bit. But um, we'll we'll really quickly look. At, we're anticipating our chat with Martel will probably go for quite a while. So we will just really quickly touch on just just a few a, a bit of the news over the last over the last week or so and. Um, you know, the, the, probably the main the, the the main early childhood specific one was an opinion piece we spotted um, in the Mercury. Did you want to just quickly tell us about that one, Leanne? Um, yeah, well, I was in Tassie on the weekend, so I guess uh, <laughs> this is a good one for me to talk about. But the the reason I will talk about it, it, it is a, an opinion piece from Ros Cornish, who's the president of Early Childhood Australia, highlighting the challenges that are now presented as a result of the passing of the federal legislation. But the point that I wanted to make about this is um, she's also highlighting some issues in Tasmania, which are to do with um, an early start for children at school instead of um, at a at a setting which is uh, an early childhood setting. And I think um, what will now sort of we'll be seeing some flow on problems from the legislation being passed in that states are kind of going to have to provide a backstop in terms of um, providing for young children who may miss out on childcare as a result of um, their, their parents not um, meeting the activity test. And I think we'll see some significant problems. We really will see children missing out on early childhood education. I think this is one of the concerns in New South Wales where the cost of early childhood education at a um, state-funded service is much greater and so families can't afford that. So this is, I guess it's just highlighting some of the problems that we are going to see. This is a little bit of a different one, but as um, Roz notes, it's not in the best interests of children. So we're seeing policy in all sorts of ways. Yeah, and it's actually, yeah, and there's some very specific um, yeah, issues with the, the starting age of Tasmania, which we haven't actually touched on in the life of this podcast. We might have to um, devote at least um, some an episode to it if we could find someone who has some good background and stuff. Unfortunately, I don't have my head uh, completely around it, but there's some very interesting sort of Tasmania-specific issues being raised. Uh, there. If you're going to be dropping into Tasmania every so often, Leanne, maybe you could. You might have to grab us an interview while you're there. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> um, as we've already talked about, the Victorian government had um, uh, announced, brought down their budget for the next financial year, which included some really interesting uh, investment in early childhood education and is probably, I think, you know, in, in broad summary, because I think we'll get into this into more detail with Martel, uh, probably has the, the best approach to early childhood education funding across all the government's federal, state and territory at the moment. It's very, it seems to be very focused on uh, sending money where it most needs to go. And and even just, you know, even if just in the press releases I read and the, the document itself, how it, it, it really values early childhood education. It, it, it refers to educators and, and, the, and the sector very professionally. So I think uh, in, in summary, a big thumbs up to the, to that to that announcement from the exciting stuff for victoria it's fantastic which is wonderful lucky them they get all the good things we're getting a bit jealous of victoria and then probably the only other big thing we wanted to touch on which isn't probably technically doesn't really cross over into our sphere of inference in the early education sector too much but there's the federal government has made some announcements It is an announce-ski, I guess. Oh, God. I didn't know you had a second left. Oh, dear. Uh, They have made an announcement along with David Gonski, which obviously everyone in the know is shortening to an announce-ski. Um, which is being referred to as Gonski 2.0. So it's a, it's a, for, for, you know, for those who have been, you know, following education for 2.0 ski. Um, we could have just got the Swedish chef to, to, to do this section, (laughs) but, um, they stuck with me. The, um, Again, we won't get into huge details. We'll link to a really fantastic piece by um, by a friend of the podcast, uh, Bronwyn Hins, who um, works for the Mitchell Institute, but also does some writing for herself. She has a really good explainer for what the funding mean. It is it is really complicated. I would argue it's probably not as complicated as early childhood education funding, but the the ins and outs of you know who's being funded, who's not, um, whether it matches previous funding agreements, is really interesting and complex. But um, it's definitely it's been the week for education funding. Announcements. It has, hasn't it? And it's been interesting to hear different perspectives on that over the week, you know, just listening to uh, people on uh, stuff like Talkback Radio <laughs> and people ringing in with their, their own perspective from the different schools as well. So wow. it's uh, the complexity is going to be um, – it will be an interesting one to unpack. But I think something we were mentioning um, before we came on was the, the idea that you give money – uh, then you then you take it away and then you give some of it back and say that it's it's new money, which is what we're seeing in <laughs> education all the time. And uh, yeah. you, you never you never get the full amount. It's become it's a very really popular political strategy. That particular one. Mm. There's a few examples yeah. of it about. But um, we will we'll take a very short break and then we'll be back with our discussion with um, Martel on uh, educators in the union. So stay with us. All right, everyone. So we're here to talk about uh, early childhood educators, teachers, early childhood professionals, and their sort of uh, their their role and place, um, and whether they should or shouldn't join the union. And we're very excited to have a special guest with us tonight. So I'm going to um, let uh, Martel introduce you, introduce herself. Thank, thanks, Leanne. Um, thanks, Leanne. Um, yeah, thank you so much for the invitation to um, be part of the program. 
Um, so um, my work, my role is I'm the vice president of the early childhood sector at the Australian Education Union Victorian branch, and I'll take a breath because it's a very long title. Um, um, and I've been, um, so that's an elected official role within the AEU, and I've been um, doing this work for, uh, this is actually my 10th year um, in this role, and um, prior to that was a, an early childhood teacher myself. Wonderful. Wonderful. We're That's ve- fantastic. We're very excited to have you here, Martel. And I've got to say, I, I remember, um, I think the first time I met you, and I think Leanne, you've probably known Martel for a lot longer, but um, was you with, at the Social Justice and Early Childhood Conference. So you've um, you've had a long history of supporting and um, and being involved in those issues with, with in early childhood education. So we're very excited to have you here and particularly representing the only state uh, the only state government really in Australia that's doing some fantastic stuff in early childhood education yeah. which we're going to be going later so we're both jealous and cranky at you but also De- glad to jealous have you. Me, yeah. <laughs> glad to have you here. questioning you later <laughs> pretending that we're happy for you <laughs> um, so i think yeah. with uh, with this topic i think we need to do a bit of um, kind of context setting and sort of say you know what's the what's the state of play in terms of um, you know early childhood educators teachers um, and unions. So, sort of, what are you know what are, what are the what are the big players in that space, and what are the big campaigns um, happening now? And you know, Martel, since we've got you here, why don't you tell us a bit about you know um, bit your work and what's the what's the sort of current focus at the moment? Yeah, sure. So, um, speaking from um, the Victorian context and and the work that I'm doing, um, I, I guess the work of any union. Uh, is a dual role. So we, we look at both the um, professional issues for the, the sector or the profession um, that we represent, um, but we also look at the industrial issues, of course. That's really our bread and butter as well. Um, so in reflecting on, you know, what's the state of play for um, um, Victorian teachers and educators at the moment, um, t- two main things have been happening and and one of each in, in, in the professional and the industrial issues. So um, last year we secured our um, two main industrial agreements, our enterprise agreements, and that was off the back of a really long, difficult campaign that ran for about three years. Um, so that was uh, kind of all-consuming um, for, for me, but um, especially for the members on the ground who um, lived and breathed that that really difficult dispute and campaign. I was going to say, Mato, um, is there any got, other is there yeah. any other kind of campaign than a long and difficult one? I'm yeah. pretty sure they're the only ones I've known. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, that's 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 true. Um, this this one was particularly special. <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd done an agreement process prior to that one, and and that was difficult as well. Um, but this was. Um, uh, especially difficult, um, primarily because at the time we spent the first year, two years bargaining under a, a state Liberal government who had no interest whatsoever in resolving the issues, were very much at arm's length. Um, and we are a bit unique here in Victoria um, in that we're not employees of our education department. We have all different types of employers. It's a really complex um um, space in terms of employment relationships, so it's um, that that made it really difficult. Um, and then we ended up with a change of state government, and that kind of um, opened up a pathway for much more um, fruitful negotiations. And, and eventually, we we got the outcome that we um, we were hoping for. So that all kind of settled last year, and uh, we've been working really um, closely with our members on 
uh, implementing um, those, those two main agreements. Um, but then, of course, the other, the other huge issue uh, we find ourselves um, battling again, and for the third occasion, is um, the, the funding um, for universal access, the 15 hours a week of preschool education. Um, and we're, we're calling that our Protect Our Preschools campaign. Um, and uh, yeah, people are probably aware that we're really in the thick of it um, at the moment, uh, running a really, I think, a really um, successful, strong campaign with members and, and other supporters. Um, but it's, it's very hard work because as I, as I mentioned, it is the third occasion we've had to run this type of campaign um, to try and protect that funding. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a really hard slog when you're continuing to have to prosecute a case around, around the need for good policy and good investment and, and for that to continue um, uh, as a permanent um, feature, um, not sort of this piecemeal approach that we, we seem to be up against. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that the union's running that campaign because we don't necessarily see that in other states. So what's been the, the driver for mm. that in Victoria? Yeah, so, um, and that, that's, a, that's a really good question you pose, Leanne. So um, one, of, one of the other hats I wear um, um, in my union work is um, not only looking after the early childhood sector within the Victorian context, but um, I'm the um, uh, I'm the federal um, elected um, person on our federal executive. So um, I have that um, other responsibility of being the voice of early childhood within the federal structure of the Australian Education Union, mm -hmm. um, which I'm very proud and, and very feel very privileged to, to be able to What's do. That's a big, so, big responsibility. Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. And um, what's been really exciting, because I've, I've done that role for just over 12 months, so it's still quite a, a new role for me, but... Um, what I really enjoy is the opportunity to, when we do meet um, with with uh, my counterparts in other branches, in other states and territories, um, is the opportunity to, to share our stories, our experiences, um, you know, recognise what we have in common or what, what contrasts um, between us. And um, the the origins of, of this campaign um, came about uh, late last year when we did get together as, as a national body of the AEU. Um, we all acknowledged that we were all, you know, obviously facing this, um, this issue across the, across the country and um, we should really run a national campaign. So it is a, it is a national campaign. Um, I think, however, what, um, what we've seen play out is um, different capacities for different groups of members of, of the union um, in different states and territories. Mm. Um, and that, um, that also connects to um, who we can cover in different um, jurisdictions. So we, we as a union, we, we don't necessarily have um, the membership rules to cover all early childhood teachers. So there are other unions, um, of course, United Voice and the um, Independent Education Union. All three of us have um, have a role to play in who uh, we can represent in, in I guess, the, the most technical and legal sense of, of the word. Hmm. 
So um, yeah, it has it has been a national campaign, but it's I guess it's you know um, how you see it play out might be a little bit different across yeah, different states and territories. Right, yeah. I think it's um, showing my lack of knowledge on that because <laughs> I thought it was coming more out of Victoria, but I can see um, see that there's sort of the messages are coming out in stronger ways from different from different states as well. Yeah. yeah, and thanks for um yeah obviously well, I think we're we're actually kind of lucky in the sector we have a whole range of unions that we're, that can offer us support in a in a, in different ways and I wanted to obviously particularly call out um, United Voice who have been mm-hmm. uh, working in space for quite a while and obviously the, the 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 main campaign that has been run by that union has been the Big Steps campaign which has been around mm-hmm. for a very long time I think it's, it must be over ten years by now from its sort of first mm-hmm. initial. Uh, sort of uh, set up but and and over the last few years has become I think a sort of more a uh, bit, bit, bit more lodged in the public and a bit more lodged in the media they've had some good wins in terms of publicity and some interesting uh, relationships with both the Labor and Liberal governments but there is there's a lot happening in this in this union mm. space and then as you said there's also the IEU uh, who do probably um, a, a bit more of a limited role in, in and work specifically obviously with with teachers, but um, yeah, with the AU, yeah. the IEU, and the United Voice, we're certainly not short of support. So we've, um, we've obviously just uh, we've just got to leverage that support <laughs> a, a little yeah, bit more. True. Um, yes. Yeah. So I think um, that's great, Martin. We really appreciate. And, and it, yeah, look, I think we at one at some point we have to devote a whole episode to the endless merry-go-round of the the National <laughs> Partnership Agreement, and that mm, and that you're right that yeah. we have to continually advocate for just what's in place really simply and easily overseas just seems to be this continual battle in Australia to, I mean, other countries are talking three-year-old preschool. We, we, we're still stuck right. on the merry-go-round of assuring three a uh, four-year-old, which yes, is just, is, is just madness. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's, it it's, it's pretty, it's pretty shameful. Well, it is particularly as we did have subsidised three-year-old preschool in New South Wales until the funding Funding policy changed, so it, yeah. it's kind of like we're, we're in New South Wales. No, I think probably in other states we've gone backwards rather than forwards. Some some wouldn't agree, but that is the case. Um, but what what about? I mean, Liam's mentioned all of those different unions. So what are the what are three good reasons um, that educators uh, would have to join a union? Mm. What are the what are the yeah. big three that you could see? Yeah. So. First and foremost for me, I I think about this question as one of um, ethical and professional responsibility. And so if we if we look at um, elements of the Early Childhood Australia Code of Ethics, um, for example, as a as a good framework to help guide and um, um, direct some of our practices and how we make some really difficult decisions. One of the things it talks about in the Code of Ethics is um, as a professional, um, I will advocate um, for and on behalf of my profession. Um, And I think that's a really important part of the Code because um, it it gives people permission perhaps, um, but it also um, I think really strongly suggests that all professionals, um, whether whatever qualification you hold, whatever type of work you do within early education, um, we do have that responsibility um, to stand together and and speak up um, on issues that affect the profession. And I think 
um, you know, I, I, I reflect upon uh, how strong we are so often at advocating for for children, for our students, um, for, for their families um, in, in the work that we do day, day to day. Um, but we don't necessarily think about advocating for the profession in those in that same way so I think I think being part of a union enables us to fulfill that that advocacy role that's that's such a good point I mean I talked to a few um, educators last week and I I was sort of talking about advocacy and I, so I said you know it's actually it's not selfish or I think there's, there's a bit of a view mm. of that because of the work we do which is really oh, focused yes. on others yeah. I think there's this view of well you know advocating for myself is is selfish or whatever. I think it's actually it's, it's actually crucial. I think I would I would probably go yeah. as far as saying I don't think you can effectively advocate just for children and families until you have stepped up and advocated for yourself as well, no, because we know that I, the quality yeah. experienced by children can only be delivered by quality educators. So you're not just advocating for yourself; you're also advocating for your colleagues. And I think you actually have to do that first. I know that that yes. was my window yeah. into advocacy was the Big Steps campaign, which opened up the sort of you know the 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 other stuff but that's yeah that's that's a, such a good point you make and I'm, I'm sort of glad you put that first because i think it's i think we almost need to give people permission to do that say no you can you the, the, mm, the, 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 mm. your conditions and pay are not good enough and you can actually advocate for that first no i was just going to ask do you think people actually see the connection or because i think sometimes mm. it's, it's misunderstood what a what a union how a union can support yeah. The individual. So, do you think sometimes yeah. there's a bit of a disconnect between that kind of, you know, personal rights and the the joining of the union? Yeah, very much, Leanne. I, I, I well, I agree with both of you on all, all those points. And I think um, I've always seen this work as um, woven together. You can't, you can't actually untangle it. You can't, you can't disconnect it. But, but I think, I think there are many that there is that you know, uh, an extent of disconnect um, and, you know, I don't want to rock the boat, I don't want to, um, you know, have conflict in my workplace and if I do, um, if I do speak up, if I do step up and campaign or be um, be an advocate in some kind of way for myself or my colleagues or the broader profession, um, people, people get a bit nervous sometimes about that action. Um, but I guess what I, you know, my response to that is... Um, we know when we have countless examples over many, many years um, now to, to demonstrate that when people come together, there is security and there is strength in numbers. Um, so um, the, the second big reason I would, um, you know, uh, suggest that people do really seriously consider joining, joining their union is, is that collective power um, because that, that's what union's all about. That's... Um, you know, I always say to people that when we come together, when we work together in a really, you know, clever, strategic, planned way, um, when workers bind together, um, we have great chance of success in, in winning campaigns for whatever whatever issue we're trying to um, pursue. So, um, yeah, being being union is fundamentally about that collective power and um, and collective action. Sounds like there's some collective power happening in someone's there house, is, right? There is. There is right outside my study door. <laughs> these are these are the children you get as a union official. You get very gorgeous but very headstrong daughters. <laughs> 
They're outside the door singing the international. I can hear it. I've, I've, I've had my girls march down the hallway. Sorry, I'm taking us on a little bit of a tangent here, but I've had them march down the hallway wanting their nighttime milk or water. What do we want? Water. When do we want it now? And they work together collectively. <laughs> and did you fold on those negotiations, Martel, or was that is that still an ongoing dispute? Yeah, I know. I completely folded. I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm a total um softy sometimes. <laughs> so you're, you're actually a victim of collective power that's going on. In well, I am. I, yes, I, I you know I, I feel for those you know those poor employers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is clearly an excellent reason because it's the is, um, you know, proof in the uh, in the collective action that's happening in your home that it does work. <laughs> uh, now, the third reason I wanted to mention um, is, I think the other big reason for joining your union is um, protection of your rights. And I think. Like I think about the work I do day to day, either with individual members or um, groups of members, maybe, you know, a whole team of staff in a workplace. And the vast majority of calls that we get into the union um, uh, are people seeking that support, that assistance. And it can, and typically it's on um, relatively, you know, minor issues, you know, people wanting to to check that they're being paid correctly, that they're getting the right conditions of employment, um, or we check contracts of employment, right through to, um, I guess, more serious matters like disputes and grievance processes, unfair dismissals. So um, I, I always say to potential members, um, it's it's insurance in a way for your, your profession, your career. Um, we hope that nothing will ever go wrong for you in the workplace, but I think we all know whether you've, you know, regardless of how long you've been in the sector or not, thing, things can and do happen. Um, so it's always, I think, really important that you've got you've got someone in your court, you've got someone to back you up and to give you um, all the um, expert advice and support you need in, in handling what sometimes can be some very um, tricky processes to navigate your way through. Yeah, and I, I think we do... Um often hear stories where people are unsure about whether they I mean how do you how do you know whether you're being paid correctly or whether you even whether your super's being paid if you're a young mm. um, educator who has has not you know completely sort of had had that experience in the world and I, I think when I hear stories about unions supporting um, some younger people in those claims I think it's it's a great um, yeah, it's just fantastic because it can have such a huge effect. For, you know, low-paid, low-paid staff who are then paid at a lower rate and miss out on their super mm. and things like that. So, I mean, obviously yeah. that's just one example, but I, I think that protection of rights is such an important one, and and probably the one that we're saying, don't be selfish and join the union. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add, and I don't know if um, you have any additional, but there are probably a million reasons to do so, but um, I mean, the, the clearest one for me is just that this is, you know, throughout, you know, sort of the history of particularly since, you know, the, um, I sound like such a nerd now, but since the Industrial Revolution, you know, <laughs> since, you know, work, workforces became so big, but this is how right. big change is made for people. But, right. you know, but you look at, um, you know, in Australia, you look at nurses and um, teachers in primary uh, schools particularly they they didn't wait for someone to fix this for them they 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 unionized they 
they got um and they they you know they they joined together and they marched and they demanded a better deal and they got it because <clears throat> you know particularly the nurses union at the moment are still fairly terrifying i think to governments and it's it's pretty mm-hmm. it's a pretty brave government that crosses the nurses union these days and um yeah. that that's you know if if when we talk about the issues you know plaguing the sector of being undervalued and under um underpaid that they that i just i worry that people i think there's going to be some solution to this problem that isn't that won't require some work from you know yeah. from all of us to come together and do stuff i think if we want to see that significant change um the only way to do it is to put your hand up and take part yeah oh completely agree and i think i think history is so important and that's where i i get a little bit worried when um you know some sometimes history is forgotten or it's not not um, given enough attention and we have to continually remind um, people, members, potential members, particularly the younger teachers and educators coming into our workforce that, yeah, there's there's been a very long, um, proud history of unionism um, in all kinds of sectors and professions, uh, like you say, the nurses and, and school teachers as well. Um, and and you're, you're exactly right. Those, um, you know, those salaries, those, those workplace rights and conditions have never ever been um, served up on a silver platter by gov- you know, any government of the day. Even <laughs> even even the most you know even the most forward thinking, um, yeah. generous kind of governments, it just doesn't work that way. It's it is really a hard slog, and it all it, it always boils down to having um, people on the ground in mass numbers. Yeah. Um, and not just not having it, not just having your numbers. That's the starting point. But they've got to be active. They've got, to, they've got to be willing to do a whole bunch of things from, you know, it might be just, you know, signing a petition, sending through information to networks right through to being prepared, if necessary, to do things like take strike action. Which is, yeah, mm. I mean, that's probably a great segue, Martel, to think, you know, beyond, you know, actually, you know, signing the membership form and, and um and becoming a former member of the union, you know, what's a, what's a, and you know, Martel would be great to hear from you first, but how, what are the other things you think educators need to do um, in this space, whether directly, you know, as part of a union or a union campaign, but, you know, what do we, what do we mm. think educators need to do to get involved in, in these sort of, um, yeah. this sort of action? Yeah. So my, my typical, typical experience of working with members is, um, and I love to watch this. This is probably one of the favourite parts of my, the work that I do is it starts off at that lower level, um, you know, lower threshold activity. It's the, um, yeah, responding to a petition, um, signing a postcard, um, sharing some information, you know, then people start organising meetings and um, sharing the information with with networks and and other people. Um, And then you you see it um, escalate. And it's, it is the most exciting thing to watch because you see leaders emerge, you see um, really strong activists come out of those processes and they start um, uh, taking control of their campaign. Um, and it's just, it's a fabulous thing because that then, it, it builds, it grows, more people get involved because people want to see others like themselves engaging they can look at me as an elected official and say, oh, well, Martel wants us to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, 
and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But if I, you know, if I'm a teacher in in a workplace and if I see one of my, my teammates or another colleague um, engaging, um, then I might be more inclined to say, oh, I can, I can give that a crack too. Um, I, that might build my own confidence in getting more actively involved. And so it just, I guess it, it really just, it, it, it grows in that kind of organic way until you end up in a situation where you can run really big successful campaigns because you know you've got the numbers and you it reaches a tipping point. And you can, you can almost see that happen when you've got the numbers behind you. Um, you know that government will start to sit up and listen or employers will, will start to pay a bit more attention. Um, policymakers want to talk to, talk to you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting when, when you see that stuff happen. So what about, um, Martel, in, in terms of that, and it's that, that, again, it comes back to that collective action that you're talking about and the... Um, and getting involved in campaigns. So, but why? What, what's the? Why do you think that a union is a a more appropriate sort of professional body than mm. other sorts of advocacy bodies for educators, specifically yeah. as a as that's, an individual? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a really good question, Leanne. I think I think because unions have um, we have the legal right. Um, to go in and do things like bargain pay and conditions. No, no other organisation can actually do that by law. So under the Fair Work Act, unions have the right to go in and represent their members in negotiating um, enterprise agreements and securing the best pay and the best conditions we can do. Um, no, no one else can actually do that. Um, now, individuals might um, endeavour to negotiate their own contracts of employment, um, but they will never stack up against collective agreements that have been won by the, the collective. Um, so I guess we've got greater um, uh, legal powers in a way. We have we have a bit more um, industrial weight, a bit more, um, yeah, a, 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 bit, a bit more of that um, influence, I suppose. And particularly, I, you know, I think about my own union um, and here in Victoria we have almost 50,000 members. Now, of course, we cover not only early childhood, we also cover primary and secondary teachers and support staff and um, those who work in TAFE. So we, we're a big education union, um, but I know what that means is that when we, when we do sit down with um, governments and, and policy makers and all kinds of other stakeholder um, groups and individuals, um, they, they know that we're a big powerful union and, and we have got that, that level of sway and influence um, on all kinds of matters. Um, do you think? Do yeah. you think you could ever see um, the all of the union going out in support of early childhood? <laughs> all of the TAFE teachers, ah, all of the yeah. school teachers. Because yeah. what's your percentage of um, membership in early childhood? If you've got fifty thousand, yeah. what, what's the membership? Yeah. So out of the fifty thousand, we have almost three thousand of those are early childhood yeah. teachers and educators. Mm -hmm. um, so you know. Obviously, a, a, a smaller portion of the fifty thousand. Um, well, it's a smaller said, workforce as well. It's a smaller so, workforce. So, what, yeah. I mean, what, what we always um, uh, the, the most important measure for any union is density, right? Mm. And that's sim simply put, that's the number of union members out of the entire um, you know workforce, the potential you've got. Um, so, when you've got really strong density, um, and I would say the tipping point, you know. 
common sense would say it's about 50%. Once you kind of get over that tipping point, um, that's when you do start to have a level of power and influence. So the question around, well, you know, could I ever see a day when, um, uh, you know, um, our colleagues in other parts of the education um, sector come out in support, um, that, that would be my utopia. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, we have very strict laws under the Fair Work Act that, that actually prohibit people from taking that kind of action. Um, and this is this is something I see, it comes up time and time again on a lot of the social uh, media forums where people um, understandably get, I think, a bit frustrated and feel a bit perhaps powerless and they, they, they just want to know, well, why, why can't we all just go on strike? Why can't we all walk out mm-hmm. tomorrow and, and, you know, um, bring down the economy um, and shut down all the childcare centres and, and kindergartens and so forth? It does sound like so much fun <laughs> to bring down the economy. That's basically oh, what I want to do. It? I'm with you. When, <laughs> when do we start? <laughs> um, but it's just... Unfortunately, the, the, the industrial relations system and the laws that we have to work under both as unions and uh, officials like myself and our members um, make that kind of action, um, it's, it's unlawful and, and very, very difficult. Yeah, I think it's so, interesting so I guess, yeah, yeah. thinking about the context even today as we record this on Wednesday night, um, the, the, the news that, you know, about the, mm. the Fairfax staff um, so yes. for the uh, Sydney Morning Herald and um, The Age and uh, a whole bunch of other newspapers are having have very quickly engaged in a seven day strike. But you know, even yeah. just reading the stuff that comes out, it's it, that you know the the legality of that will be questioned. It's not necessary, even for a relatively high. I think the union density of in the in, in with journos is pretty high, but even yeah. that is very. It, it, it is that that would likely be challenged and I, and I would imagine you know with <laughs> with limited you know knowledge of this area but will likely not stand it's actually it's it's, it's a tricky it's a tricky field to navigate. it's not quite as simple as yeah just downing tools and and wandering yeah off. it is it's a really tricky one actually that's been a question in my mind which we probably can't cover in full tonight but what makes a um a strike illegal Okay, so a couple of things. Um, you have to meet a few uh, threshold items under the Fair Work Act. And the first thing is to take lawful uh, industrial action of any kind, and that, that's any kind of ban or limitation or stop work action, you have to be um, uh, pursuing an enterprise agreement. So you've got to be in a bargaining period, okay? Mm. So that's that's the first thing you've got to, got to check off your list. Um then if you are if you are doing bargaining and you know talks have broken down and you feel that this is the next logical step to take you then have to apply to the fair work commission for a protected action ballot and so a ballot is run of the um, the the relevant uh, group of workers could be the entire workforce um, and we've we've done that in Victoria we went on strike in 2014 um, and that's what that's what um, landed us I think a really a really good deal because we did go on strike um, but you've got to run that ballot you've got to get 50% plus one that vote yes we want to take action and then you start taking the actions and there are lots of different rules about um, what you can and can't do um, people of course will get their pay docked if they take any sort of uh, put any um, you know ban or limitation on their work or they do take a stoppage of any kind so the the threshold uh, the thresholds are really high. Um, they're they're not easy to um, to meet. Um, 
Now, you know, I, I can understand why some of those rules are in place, but this whole notion of, you know, we as workers in this country have a right to strike, um, we actually don't really yes. in, in the truest sense. Yeah. No, that's it, it's, it's quite hard to strike. It's very, very hard to strike. <laughs> yes, yes, very much, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think I think back to when, um, yeah, as I, as I mentioned just before, that, you know, when Victorian teachers and educators did go on strike, and that was back in um, October 22nd, 2014, because I'll never forget the day, um, uh, it, that was months and months of, of strategising and planning and preparation work. That was us, you know, doing things like calling every single member to say, will you be there on October 22nd? Will you turn yeah. up? Um, yeah. You know, so it's it's an incredible amount of work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, Martel, you kind of talked a little bit before about your uh, your u- utopia vision for uh, for the <laughs> union, and you know, it might be good to try and um, you know, as we sort of tr- head towards wrapping up. You know, what are you know what what would be your biggest you know hopes or your hopes for for educator, you know, engagement mm. with with the union. What you know, what's your um, you know, for early childhood educators, obviously in particular, what mm. would be your, you know, thing to go? This is yep. Yeah, this is it. This is what we want. This is what needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I think fundamentally, I would just love to see even greater number of professionals, um, whatever qualification, whatever role they play in in our sector, um, stepping it up and getting more active. And I think. Um, very specifically, what I want to see more of um, are people uh, developing and nurturing relationships with politicians. Now that, you know, I, I, the words come out of my mouth and I go, oh, you know, <laughs> do we want to do that? Do we have to do that? And the blunt answer is um, we need to. We, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's just critical that we... Um, uh, get a bit better at doing that 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 engagement work um, and relationship building with politicians and many others. I think I think there are all kinds of relationships we can nurture in our sector. Um, but what's my, my read on it is this: is you know the the reason that you know things like universal access are under threat again. The reason we are still um, battling for professional recognition and respect and better pay, better conditions, you know, the reason we're still left wanting on so many issues is that um, politicians think they can get away with it. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about, you know, the current state of play in federal politics. Um, you know, we, we've seen some um, terrible, um, you know, behaviour and, and remarks about early childhood educators, uh, you know, in recent times. And I think that sadly just reflects that, um, you know, uh, not all of them, but, but many of them just don't understand and appreciate um, the amazing work that, that our profession uh, does. Um, but we've got to be the one to, to tell them and articulate and to blow our own trumpet and... Um, I guess to really get in their ear, um, uh, get in their face a little bit, and uh, you know, invite them into our our settings, our early childhood centres and services, um, to go and visit them, you know, and to get parents on board with that work too, because parents are seen as uh, very important in terms of winning votes. We know that, 
Um, so I think there's a lot more potential there for us to do um, uh, even more work, continue strengthening that work with with um, our, our parent communities, our you know broader community, um, and just yeah that engagement with politicians. Um, can be really critical because when when they realise that we've got we've got good strong numbers behind these campaigns, they they frame that as it's about votes. And so you know at the moment we're about to go into our, the next phase of our our protect our preschools campaign, and a big part of that will be engaging with the politicians, um, particularly those um, in the marginal seats of which we have four marginal seats here in Victoria. Um, and we want them to get the very clear message that if they do not take early education seriously, um, their their political political careers are, are under under threat. Mm. And suddenly, yeah. and suddenly they sit up and listen. Yeah, just like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it all sounds so simple, which it's not. It's very it's very hard work. It's very hard work, but. Um, Again, I think I think when we work together as a collective, and we give each other the permission and build our confidence and our skills and our capacities, anyone can actually do it. Yeah. It's just it's knowing where to start, and it's just saying, you know what, I'm going to jump in the deep end. I'm going to find a bit of courage. Yeah. And I'll give this a go. It's 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 you know we have to do it. And because we know as well that the best. In my view, and and no offence, Martel, but you know that mm. you know union officials and and the elected reps, you know, can can do fantastic advocacy and stand up. But we often know the best impact can come from people who are mm. who are who are putting their hand up, standing. I've seen you know, seen this time and time again, particularly in the big steps campaigns. You know, as educators who have worked in the sector yes. for a long time and and don't you know yeah. and and you know aren't you know an elected official or aren't you know in that role, but they they stand up and talk about their work and that. I think often um, is is very very powerful, and the more people that can do that and get that confidence, that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's for me. It's it's um it's telling our stories, and I, I I can't tell the stories of others. I can convey messages. I can I can do all kinds of things in my work, but I'm I'm not living and breathing the experience of being a teacher on the ground anymore. I'm 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 quite removed from that. I'm very conscious of that in, in the work I do. So, um, you know, as far as possible, we always try and identify, um, yeah, teachers and educators um, who who are able to yeah to speak up and and to share that very personal um, experience of 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 what what this looks like and what this um, what this means for for their work day to day. Well, and it is more believable, isn't it? Because it is from the person who is working at the, you know, at the coalface, so to speak. It's it's a, yeah. a and, I, and I don't think that then that can be questioned for its motives either. So it is no, it, no, it's got that authenticity. Not Unlike that those untrustworthy union officials. That's yeah, right. that's oh. right. <laughs> hash, hash, hashtag union thug. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's right. Martel but bullied you... her way onto the show. We didn't have a choice. She yeah, that's right. marched yeah. into the podcast and said, I'm on tonight. So, okay. <laughs> Take over. <laughs> but oh, you, um, there has been some great success in connecting up with 
um, politicians in Victoria. Um, mm. And this is what we were referring to earlier about our jealousy over um, <laughs> some of the fantastic things. Every time I go on Facebook, which isn't that often, it's about as many times as I go to Melbourne, but um, <laughs> it was, you know, I see that something fantastic is happening in in Victoria and, um, you know, there's a launch of something new and then there's some great things that have just happened in the Victorian budget. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm still in a, a bit of shock. And as I said, I said to you earlier, um, I, yeah, I got up this morning. So, sorry, um, going back one step, um, the Victorian budget was um, was handed down yesterday and um, I attended a, a budget briefing um last night um, which was um, the Department of Education's briefing and um, we sat there and we we watched our Minister Jenny McCarkos um, um, present um, you know what what this would all mean for early early childhood education and um, my my colleague my, my deputy Cara Nightingale and I we just sat there and we kept looking at each other and I was I was actually tearing up and I thought because I, I get a bit emotional um, I thought oh I'm, I'm going to I'm going to start crying because I just can't believe what I'm hearing. This is extraordinary. So, so what's been delivered is um, an unprecedented amount of money into um, uh, early education and also maternal child health, which is a really important part of our system here. Um, and in total, it's $202.1 million um, of, of investment. But there's two, two things I want to mention that I, I think stand out for me is, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a number of governments come and go now. I've seen budgets, many budgets handed down. And, um, you know, you, you, you have some decent governments who um, deliver money, but it's not always the best use of taxpayer money. And it's not always where we want it to go or think it should go as, as the ideal investment. Um, you know, some money might get thrown around, but it's not, it's not, terribly um, smart. What what was different about um, this budget was that um, I think on every single item, on every every single part of um, that that investment is is really um, targeted um, smart investment. So it's going towards children and families of greatest need. And um, that brings me to the to the second point, which is we now will have um, a, a new way of funding our our um, preschools here, um, which will be um, an equity uh, model. And that, that means it's, it's needs-based funding, which is very much like what we have in the schools system. So basically, um, data will be collected um, that, that accounts for um, the, the parents' uh, uh, educational uh, attainment level and their occupation. And that, of course, that, that very rich data tells us a lot about um, the children that we work with and the communities that we work in. So what we will see um, is once this funding, once the system is all set up and the funding starts to flow, we'll see that um, communities um, that do have high levels of vulnerability or disadvantage, um, they'll get more money than um, compared to a centre where we don't have as many children in those circumstances. So it's... Um, it's it's very very exciting and um, nothing nothing like it in the country. Yeah. So how will that money be used? I mean, that's you've got mm. pretty low fees anyway, haven't you, in terms of um, early childhood education? So is it mm. um, subsidising those fees more? Or is it subsidising other other activities? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question. So the way it will work is that in terms of our fee structure here, um, for families who have a uh, healthcare card, um, preschool is is free. Um, then for the the rest of the families, um, they do pay fees, um, and that varies quite a bit. You know, I, I, I hear of some fees that are getting quite expensive, to be honest. Um, so um, that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, but in terms of um, this, this equity money, um, the, the, the service will be able to identify how they could best spend that money. And there will be criteria, so it won't be a free-for-all. Um, you know, the department will work with stakeholders over the next little while to determine um, a framework and criteria for, for determining where, where that money could go. But a couple of examples might be um, money towards um, speech therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, um, bringing in, it might be just um, employing an, an extra um, educator into the service. You know, it might be that you've got children with um, just sort of behavioural issues and concerns where an extra pair of hands and eyes and support would would go a, a long way to helping those children. Mm. So it will it will um, very much be, um, you know, there'll be, uh, uh, from what I understand, uh, a, a really good level of autonomy given to the um, to the local um, service. Are you talking about yeah. trust in professional <gasps> judgment? I know it's outrageous. What are you talking about? So hang on, hang <laughs> I on. Can't Ma- have that. Hang on, Mata. Are you, so are you saying there's, there's there's more funding, and it's going to it's going to the services, children and families that need it most in a relatively, you know, not a non-complex way? Because I'm pretty sure that's illegal in Australia. I, don't, I think in, if, if you're going to fund early childhood in Australia, I think the Victoria government's under is under risky legal ground here because I'm pretty sure it has to be overly complicated. Only go to the right families and and yeah. and actually be a funding <laughs> cut so i'm 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 suspicious of this this, this. i know Hen- hence why i'm still in a bit of shock because it did blow us away last night um and look you know i i, I do put a, a caveat around all of this is it's you know it's only one day after this announcement you know all the devil is in the detail mm-hmm. but um i i've been having discussions in fact with the department today and about this very issue and and i i asked them that 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 type of uh, question around the level of trust and responsibility and i feel really confident already um that that yes yes the profession is is going to be trusted in making those decisions along with you know in consultation with with families and community and and you know employers and providers and you know everyone that makes up um, um, that setting. So, it's yeah, it's terribly exciting. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it would be really interesting to see how that unfolds. Just one, one other question that I had on that. Is there some control on fees? Because you're saying that some of the fees are getting getting sort of a bit out of out of range for families. Yeah, look, Leanne, there, there, there isn't. I said, oh, God, dare I say, you know, the marketplace <laughs> yeah. re- regulates. Oh, awful. Um, so, yeah, my understanding is that they can vary quite a bit depending on um, geographic location, typically. Um, parents' capacity to pay, you know, there'll be, the you know, the leafy green eastern suburbs, for example, where there will be some parent groups that, you know, can can pay, you know, $400, $450 a term um, for kindergarten. So, it, yeah, it, 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 it does vary a bit. Um, there are a week yeah. in New South Wales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I think I think it look overall our fees are still quite modest and reasonable. Yeah. But I guess we're always we always we don't want to lose some um, sight of where there are pockets of you know communities where those fees may be getting uh, you know reaching a, a point where they're a bit high. But in terms of your question around you know are there you know you know measures or mechanisms that 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 look at that mm, not not really in Victoria. Right. Right. Well, Martel, we thank you so much for joining us today. We've 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 kept you far longer than I think we promised, but um, it was a really fantastic discussion on uh, educators' engagement with union and union campaigns. So we we really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. It's it's been a pleasure. And can I just say, keep up your great work. And shout out to Lisa, who's who's not with us tonight. But um, <laughs> I yeah. I think the show's terrific and, um, yeah, I think you, you all do and have done for many, many years, all three of you, some, some fabulous um, activist work. So so keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> Thank you. And likewise. Thank you. We need to have guests on more often. They're so nice and polite. Yeah, I know. They're so lovely. <laughs> Thank you, Martel. Thanks, Martel. Thank you. So thanks again to Martel for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. And um, wasn't the original plan, but I guess subbing in for Lisa as well. Um, but we will move on to our recommendations for the week. And um, Leanne, are you happy to, to bring us yours? And then Lisa, just before she had to bow out, she did actually manage to provide her recommendation. You might just maybe do, just briefly just uh, maybe do hers on her behalf. Yes, I'll try and channel what she was thinking when she put it there. Um, but first of all, I'll, I'll do... Uh, the one that I put up there and be very quick about it. I just um, am finding it interesting that um, employee, employers are uh, now providing, we're seeing sort of a greater trend in employers providing parental leave. And uh, Microsoft has just announced that that employees can access parental leave, but from day one now, instead of having wow. to wait for a year, they can actually access that from day one. And I, I guess that's, um, from the perspective of being uh, an employer, spending time recruiting someone and um, knowing that you want them to come back. So I think that that's, you know, obviously they've got their recruitment process right and they're, they're doing this. So I just find that interesting, be interesting to, to see what people think of that. Um, and then on to Lisa's. Now, I can only assume <laughs> that Lisa has put this here because she loves G8. She's very knowledgeable about it and I could not um, actually share much information um, in the way that uh, she does. But I think probably one of the reasons she's put this here is because the G8 share price has um, crashed today and uh, that may have elicited great joy from her. (laughs) But also uh, the reason why is there's been a significant expansion and it's looking at the at G8 maybe not having the level of utilisation that it has <coughs> said that it will have, which I don't think it was ever going to have anyway, that it said it would have. But I think it, it might be, if Lisa was here, she might express a certain amount of joy um, at G8 uh, having its share price go down. <laughs> but I think also just highlighting the risks of, you know, having these big organisations as well, um, that they are you know, then at the, at the mercies of the, the market forces, which can which can sort of funnel down to negative outcomes for children. And... Yeah, and, we're, and how they're valued. I mean, the, exactly. the, the thing is that it is all at that, um, you know, very precarious point at which things are valued. And we've seen many sectors, not 
not just this one, that have been overvalued and uh, have come crashing down. So I think yeah. this is another one. At this stage, is another one of those stories. Wonderful. Yes, I think you're right. Um, and then mine really quickly is just a link to an article in The Conversation, one of our, our favourite go-tos. Um, just on an, on an area that's always fascinated me, I wish I knew far more about and would love to visit an example, but talks about um, uh, you have to get past the language slightly. So they refer to daycare and that kind of stuff and you just got to sort of grit your teeth and get through that. But they talk about the, the benefits to both um, elderly people and young children of combining those two those two age groups. So having, there's a really fantastic example uh, in the US of a, an early childhood centre that's based within a nursing home and the, 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 the young children and the elderly people engage together and the, the incredibly positive outcomes that come for that. So um, if people haven't heard of that sort of, um, those interactions before, this is a very good um, starter article to start thinking about that. But um, it's something I just enjoy. I'd love to know more about and even be involved. Yeah, with. do you think we'll see that um, happening in Australia, I think they look. I and some look. Someone maybe actually, you know, email in or contact us on Twitter and prove me wrong. I, I I have a feeling there may be some very small examples. I don't think there's anything as formal as you know a permanent everyday arrangement that you can sometimes see, particularly in the US. But um, uh, if I'm wrong, please let me know. I'd love to to hear from it. We'd probably actually love to to even cover it on the show. But um. Given that, you know, particularly the government's approach to both aged care and early childhood are both similarly confusing and stressing advocates in both sectors out, it probably would make sense to, to at least combine them and have all the complexity and, and crankiness under one roof. <laughs> that, might, that could work. <laughs> um, so that's our episode uh, for this week. Um, we will, as usual... If you're enjoying the show, we'd really love to have your support in, um, in a couple of a couple of big ways. Um, you can financially support the show directly at patreon.com forward slash early edu show. Uh, we really value the support and it can be as little as $1 a month. But what that means is, is that we can uh, devote more time to the podcast. Um, you know, putting up, you know, being putting on the poor Liam hat, you know, slightly. I, you know, work full time, but um, you know, edit the edit the podcast and put it together. You know, in my spare time, which I love doing, and, and we'll... do a wonderful job. <laughs> and Lisa and I are eternally grateful, <laughs> which I love doing, and we'll continue to do. But what you know, the funding means I can devote a bit more time to that, and 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 even get things like nicer equipment and make it sound a bit nicer. And um, put your Jade. Quit your day job. Quit my day job. That's where I go the podcast full time. That's the end. That's the end goal. Um, but uh, it also means we can do fun things like buy new equipment. We we've we've uh, we have a fancy new website, earlyeducationshow.com, You know, which is paid for with um with those donations and and really excitedly, you know, we'd love we we you know Lisa, Leanne, and I have talked you know in the background about doing something like a live show later in the year. <laughs> We've got to do that live show, and I think we've got to do a party with it. I think it's got to have Absolutely. a party as well. Yeah. So the more support yeah. we get, the better the party is, people. Really, I mean, yeah, this, that's is, right. this is this and is you're all invited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you, as we completely understand it, that's not something you can do. We um, what would really still help us out is a rating and a review on the iTunes store. Uh, that helps other people find the podcast. And if you're not using iTunes and have an Apple device, you know, just share us on Facebook or Twitter. You know, get the word out. We'd love to have um, some more listeners. As I said before, you can find the show at earlyeducationshow.com uh, along with all the show notes from this and all our other episodes. Uh, you can contact us uh, in a few different ways. You can email us at earlyeducationshow at gmail. Dot com. Uh, I make sure I check that pretty regularly now because it turns out I missed a few emails. Sorry, everyone. Uh, you 
you can also get the touch of the show on the uh, the big social media, so Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the handle on both of those is uh, at, is uh, at Early Edgy Show. So Facebook.com forward slash Early Edgy Show or Twitter.com forward slash Early Edgy Show. Uh, you can get in touch with uh, all of us uh, individually as well. Um, uh, as, as we said, unfortunately, Lisa's not here, but you can reach her at Lisa J. Bryant on Twitter. Uh, I am at Liam McNicholas. And I'm Leanne MG3. And we no, will... No, oh. I'm not. Am I? No, you no, are. I'm that's not. right. No, that's right. No, I'm, Leanne I'm Leanne M. Gibbs 3. Leanne M. Gibbs 3, not Leanne MG3. One day. You've been doing... Actually, One Leanne, you've been doing really well for the past few weeks. I know. I know. I just, just lost my focus there for a minute. I know. We're, we're, we're feeling that it's, it's strange not having Lisa here. And we, we, um, we're, we're fairly certain we're all three of us will be back next week. But... um. Uh, until then, thanks again to Martel for joining us. Um, uh, but uh, until then, until next week, we are a bit all over the shop, aren't we? Now we need Lisa back. Yeah. Lisa, come back. <laughs> until <laughs> until Lisa's back with us next week. It's bye from me and from me. <laughs> <laughs>